Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm Callum. And I'm James, and this is the only podcast that's cancelling Amy Pond for her problematic Aboriginal Australian Silurian Displacement Program. We take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. On today's episode, the prehistoric underground reptiles, the Silurians, are back in Chris Chibnall's The Hungry Earth Cold Blood 2 Parter. As always, just a quick reminder that you can find us on Twitter, as long as it remains an active website, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, at Two Hearts Pod, that's to the number two. Or if you have some long form thoughts you want uh, read out on the show, you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com, and that's to the word two. Callum, welcome back. It has been a hot minute since we've recorded. It has been a hot minute, but also um, it doesn't feel like that long since we got Power of the Doctor and the end of the Jodie Whittaker era. So, like, coming back True. to this podcast and recording another Chris Chibnall episode is um, is not good. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I think that um, we originally meant to record this actually earlier in the week, and uh, I, I definitely led the charge of... I just physically can't talk about another Chris Chibnall script right now. <laughs> and I still feel that way, um, especially having revisited these episodes now, because this is a Chibnall script through and through. But fortunately, we have a glut of Doctor Who news to talk about for once. Mm, we do. We do. So should we just get right into the news of the day? Literally today, which we found out. Literally. Not, not, not two hours ago, did we learn who the new companion is for Doctor Who? Her name is Millie Gibson. I was almost going to say Millie Bobby Gibson because that's the joke I've been running with in my head. Um, <laughs> but it's not even that funny. Um, when I see a Dalek, I floor it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so many layers deep. For <laughs> I hope that people get that. <laughs> I know. I'm sure, I'm sure one gay fan out there is going to understand it. Um, Millie Gibson, new companion. She's going to be playing a character called Ruby Sunday. Um, and it was announced, yeah, a couple of hours ago, in the, uh, the UK on BBC Children in Need. Um, she gave a very brief uh, sort of little, I wouldn't even call it an interview, more like a, a TV spot, basically, where she um, talked about becoming part of Doctor Who and, and Doctor Who history. And it was honestly very endearing. I, uh, You messaged me, James, and you said that this is our perfect Rose-Clara combination com- character. And... Yeah. I really feel that. I just, when I was watching her up on stage and the kind of energy that she had, I, I thought it was the perfect combination of like the kind of awkward, clunky youth of um, Billy Piper at the time when she was cast as Rose and also the kind of like quaint together Britishness of Jenna Coleman <laughs> as, um, as, as Clara. And so I kind of, and I also think there's just a physical resemblance as well. Like she mm. is like, uh, sorry, um, Millie Gibson seems to be like, quintessentially companion material based on the show's history. Mm. Um, and I, I think that there's that one photo they released of her and Shooty together and they already look so cute together. They really do. They look like a little team. And it's very, after, you know, how many years of these big fam type TARDIS teams, um, mm. going back to, you know, classic Doctor companion unit, um, I'm not arguing for the merits of one or the other, but it is refreshing after that um uh the other thing i was just going to say what from what you've just said is that i think that she there's a lot of shared uh 
DNA with her and Jenna Coleman in terms of their careers as well. Um, Because they both, you know, got their start on soap operas and got Mm. fame on soap operas and then made that leap through Doctor Who to, you know, more quote unquote, like prestige drama. Um, Legitimate television. (laughs) Exactly. So, no, I think it's, I think that there's, I think it's, look, I don't watch British soaps. I have no idea who this person was before two hours ago, Um, but I stand her. I love her. um, And she is the moment. She is. She is the moment. Um, the other thing is that she's also like, she's what, 18 years old. Mm. You know, I think somebody tweeted this morning that when Doctor Who first premiered, she was one. Because she was born in what? 2004. She was announced. She was born a month after Billy Piper was announced as a companion. Exactly. Like, and just the idea of time kind of collapsing in on itself in our brains as, as death's clammy hand is reaching for all of us. Um, that's just kind of wild to think about, you know, like this, this person who has grown up across the revival era of Doctor Who and barely reached adulthood and is now starring in the revival era of Doctor Who. I, I kind of love it. I think it's very sweet. I do too. I think um, <clears throat> it just goes to show like just how much of a, a reset this whole era is going to be because it is casting young talent in the same way that it was casting, I guess, sort of young talent in Billy Piper. Um, way back in 2004. Mm. I mean, obviously she was already famous and had a long career before she'd even gotten to Doctor Who. Um, no, I think it's really, I think it's really cool. And I honestly don't have much more to say about the casting because it's obviously very, very fresh. Um, by the time this Mm. episode goes out, it will have been out for a while. Um, yeah, the the future is here and we're we're witness to it. (laughs) And it's, it's looking bright like a Sunday morning. Um, should we also get it? Oh yeah. Sunday. Ha. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Ha. <laughs> anyway, uh, the other big news that I think that you're alluding to, which we have not had a chance to talk about on air yet is the, the Disney plus acquisition, which is massive. Yeah. We were going to talk about this on our power of the doctor episode and it became <clears throat> too big of a conversation to sort of tack onto the end of what was already quite a long episode there. Um, and it is a conversation that is worth having <clears throat> a longer discussion about. Um, so the basic backstory to, well, not backstory, but the story is that Doctor Who from 2023 onwards in outside of the UK uh, has been acquired and will be broadcast on Disney+. And the rumor I'm hearing is that also Disney are like, significantly bumping up the budget of the show. So it goes from like something like 10 million an episode to a hundred million an episode. And I, I feel like those are very arbitrary numbers because none of us really know unless we have connections, what the budget is for a Doctor Who episode, episode by episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously that bodes well for the production values of the show. I guess there is just this part of me that still kind of goes about Doctor Who going, especially here in Australia, going from a public broadcaster, you know, free to access for anyone to, well, anyone with a television, I suppose, or a device to a paid service. And I wondered what your feelings were on that, James. Um, I mean, like the, the lefty in me, like the anti-capitalism version of James is like, yeah, like this kind of sucks, Um, you know, and 
you know, I saw a lot of people complaining that like, it's not as if the ABC has done like an amazing job of handling having like Doctor Who, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, video compression when they upload it or onto the iView and whatnot, because I mean, let's be honest, like most of the, I feel like the modern audience is not watching this live on television. You know, a, a lot of us, at least the, the like really connected fandom is probably streaming this, you know, as soon as it launches at 6.30 in the morning, the same way that we do. Um, and so I definitely appreciate giving the show not only like a better infrastructure to work off of, but also just like, it's, it's a massive platform reach, you know, like the idea of like mm. jumping into Disney plus and you see Marvel, Star Wars, Doctor Who, like that's a pretty big audience for them to be exposed to. Um, and I, I do appreciate that and I like that. Um, <clears throat> but of course at the same time, you know, the idea of putting this thing that has effectively been like a quaint kooky, really accessible sci-fi show uh for generations now um and then you say okay like the the free-to-air portion of of its entire history is effectively done and you will need to now pay you know it's now gone up to in australia i think it's 14 dollars a month mm. i was just complaining to this to you about this the other day that i got a notification it's like oh and like all these streaming services are just going to keep charging more and more um and so yeah like it it sucks in, in that sense. Um, and I think that Disney getting its fingers into everything it conceivably can is not good. I mean, just from a, a straight up monopoly point of view, but then if you also want to look at it from an artistic point of view, which is, you know, where there's been some confusion around this discussion, I think is if they're going to be having any sort of creative say in the show. Um, Cause you know, you mentioned before that the budget seems like we're jumping from, what is it? Recent seasons of the British Epic have been produced for around 1.1 million. Uh, and now we could be jumping, oh, sorry, between 1.1 and 3.4. Uh, right. And the budget could increase to around 11 and a half million when we begin filming with uh, Shooty Gutwood. That's according to the direct.com. Um, right. That's a huge jump. And I, I don't know if they're going to provide that sort of investment without wanting some kind of creative oversight. Um mm. You know, I, I think, and, and not not to tangent too much no, here, no, but no. like we've been talking about um, like the Star Wars shows together a lot recently, and it's been interesting watching Andor come out, which has effectively been this like you know very angry, very anti systemic uh, oppression, very creative Star Wars uh, property, and you compare that to kind of like the past two years of like you know your Book of Boba Fett, your your Mandalorian, your Obi Wan Kenobi, which by all accounts have been sort of like studio noted to death, and then Andor comes along, and Tony Gilroy's done a bunch of interviews. He's the the showrunner for Andor, and he's gone no, they just kind of let us do whatever we wanted to do. There was a couple of things like, you know, don't put sex in it and don't put swearing in it. But for the most part, we could just tell the story we wanted to tell and all they did was fund us. Um, and so if it's the latter, that's that's fantastic for Doctor Who. You know, if Russell T Davies has enough sway in the TV industry, which he absolutely should by this point, to say, give me all of the money in the world and I will return to you a really accessible, fun and brilliant looking yeah. Doctor Who series. That's amazing. I just don't want it to be the Mandalorian version of Doctor Who where it feels kind of like, you know, studio tested and shaved off within an inch of its life. So bringing up Andor is, is a really interesting kind of comparison to make because when you told me that a couple of weeks ago about or um, <clears throat> the Andor creator saying that, that, you know, I think it was with the, you were talking about that queer couple, right? Um, mm -hmm. And how they were like, how did you get it through the senses? How did you, how did Disney take it? And, this the creator was like we just did it like there wasn't any red tape yeah. to cut to to get to that point um 
which and this is sort of a sidebar implies to me that like the conservatism up to this point has been on the creator's part but probably encouraged mm-hmm. by disney plus in some small fashion yes. or big fashion um i'm i am sort of curious about that comparison because like okay so no sex or no swearing and i think back to doctor who under russell t davies and it he he was always doing a very Disney-esque version of the show, you know, with classic companions and the classic silhouettes and creating this kind of marketable version of Doctor Who. Um, so this marry, marriage of the two makes perfect sense for me. And I don't think that there's going to be that much of a difference. Um, I, I think because, like, we've been... A lot of people have been saying online and the discourse has been, you know, Doctor Who's going to get very queer. It's going to get very representative. It's going to become... Uh, a lot more political under Russell T Davies and like it will, but I don't think it's going to be as biting as people think it's going to be. And I think that like there is a simpatico kind of um, aesthetic there with Russell T Davies. And um, I think I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, which I want to do. No, I, I fully get what you're saying. Um, I, you know, I think we talked about this when it was announced that he was coming back as well, but he has gotten much more radical as a writer as he's, as he's gone on, you know, like years and years is not an entirely successful show in my mind, but like it is angry. Like it, it has something to say, um, mm. you know, you, you're a huge champion for it's a sin. Like mm. his queerness, his compassion, his anger, his frustration, his, his politics basically, are. Like not radicalizing necessarily, but like you can very much see that. Like I think as he gets a bit older and he appreciates things on a, on a bit wider context or whatever, however you want to describe it, um, he is becoming a more fully formed but, queer voice, but he, right? Um, yeah. And I love love the idea of him getting a second crack at Doctor Who with that now, and, and especially as a comparison point to where he started with. Like you said, it's a very family friendly show, and it will always be family friendly. Like I, I think this thing is going to be obviously very approachable, accessible fun and lovely and whatnot but i just wonder you know if, if all of this stuff that you and i have essentially spent two hearts talking about been like oh there's so much good subtext in these stories and sometimes i wish they would just lean into it a bit more maybe that's what we're going to be getting like it'll still be subtext but more deliberate subtext um like maybe he's kind of like packaging up these more radical uh, ideas or queer representation or whatever you want to call it mm. um and and packaging it inside of the Disney Plus Doctor Who, um, which is essentially what Andor is doing. You know, it's, it's taking a bunch of very, you know, clear um, lefty politics and and packaging it up in, in a Star Wars show. Uh, so, you know, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I, I like that he has more money to play with. I like that he has these incredible two new actors to play with. Yeah, and, and that's even after the, the Smith stuff happens, which creatively i've got no idea where that is that that seems to be in the wind you know um like that could be those three specials oh sorry uh the uh tenant stuff um yeah those those three specials could be anything in the world you know like a lot of this disney plus stuff is talking about the the shooty gatwa sort of like era um so now we've got these like weird wilderness (laughs) you know specials um to to get through as well and it's just yeah it's an interesting place for the show to be in it is an interesting place and I, there's one thing I do want to say on that, which is about Russell T Davies, and it is that he has said in the past that he is a you know he is a capitalist. Like he, he he's not he's he has yeah. left politics, but he is a capitalist, and he does you know value <clears throat> um, money for lack of a better word. Um, I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Um, 
He is a fan of extended universes. We know this because he's talked about how Doctor Who should, you know, like there should be a Doctor Who channel and that there should be like all these kinds of different extended um, spin-off shows and things like that. He, those are things he's, he is a fan of. Um, so I think that with Disney, he will understand the audience and the channel that he is now working within and he will gear the main flagship show to that. And I don't, I actually in my heart of heart think that the show itself isn't going to become that radical, but I do think he'll have an opportunity if he's a fan of extended universes to do spin-offs that are a bit more the same way that Torchwood, I mean, Torchwood was, a, you know, kind of a horrible 180 example of this where they just went completely in the opposite direction and were like, you want sex? Here's all the sex in the world and here's drugs and here's <laughs> swearing and here's everything we can't do in Doctor Who. I think it'll be far more yeah. nuanced than that. Not to say Torchwood didn't eventually get to that nuanced spot. Um, so, yeah, like, I, it's, it's also difficult to sort of say, like, it, it's going to ride or die on Doctor Who. I think there's going to be a lot of other opportunities to to explore this world in very different ways and with different voices and with different people speaking those words. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot to be positive about, I suppose. I, I yeah. It, and you're right to say that, like, the media, like, people who are watching Doctor Who now will already have a subscription or they will already be able to get onto Disney plus. So I, I understand that too. Um, and yeah, I don't know what I, I don't know. I think it's just kind of that thing. The ABC was never very good at promoting the show, but I always felt like that was <laughs> a result of what the BBC was doing. And obviously the BBC has not been amazing at promoting the show in the last few years. So the ABC following suit from that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I think I've rambled again. But do you remember... No. Do you remember, like... You, this is such a tangent, but do you remember when Peter Capaldi became the Doctor and they went on, like, a world tour and they went to Japan? Him and Jenna Coleman went to Japan. They came to Australia. They went to the America um, and they were promoting the show. Like, that's probably the last big push that Doctor Who did before it very quietly died a little bit. <laughs> um, I was about to be like, hang on, didn't um, didn't Jodie Whittaker like arrive on a boat or something? I was like, nope, that was James Bond. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? When did James Bond arrive yeah. on a boat? <clears throat> yeah, I feel like Daniel Craig like showed up like on a boat in the Thames as like the reveal that he was the next James Bond. And for some reason... I inserted Jodie Whittaker into that memory and was like, I don't know. She was on a boat. <laughs> like, no, no, <nah>, James, <laughs> no. <nah. laughs> um, no, I think that she was revealed in that little video where she was like, it's me. It's Jodie. And here I am. Oh, where she's like walking through the forest. Yeah. 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 Didn't that air during like um, the Wimbledon or something? Wasn't that the whole? Yeah. Thing? God, you got a good memory. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Also, this yeah. picture of Daniel Craig being announced on that boat is awful. Why does he look oh, so yeah. awful? <laughs> well, that's the thing about Daniel Craig is that like he's such a dour like pussycat and then you give him something he actually wants to do and he just explodes with life and comedy. It's like he cannot fake it to save his life. And I, I love that, man. Well, and we've got some good Daniel Craig to look forward to soon in Glass Onion, <gasps> but we are, we are tangenting hugely. 
Yes. All right. We're seeing glass on you next week. I'm very excited. Anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. Look, that's it. That, there's your Doctor Who news. We actually have a relatively on time and on topic news segment this week. <laughs> um, in the future, we, we've had a bit of a discussion about how we've been tackling this stuff because there was a period of time there where because we'd banked up our episodes, um, we would release them and then everyone would be like, why didn't you talk about Shuri Gatwa? <laughs> and it's like, well, we recorded that two months ago. <laughs> um, so we might still bank up our episodes because we're both busy people and we need to live our lives. But we have agreed that if if cool news happens and it deserves having a bit of a 10, 15 minute conversation, we're just going to quickly jump on, give you the, the raw audio, basically, just put it up into the feed. And so that way, you know, you folks at home get our impressions of the news more than two months late. Mm. Uh, and we feel like we're engaging with, you know, this thing that we technically love. Oh, we do love it. Um, and well, I say technically because of, you know, again, what we're talking about this week, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're about to, <laughs> we're about to go into some, some discussions, but I think, I think we're going to have a good chat. I think we're going to have a good chat. So let's, yes, yeah. we will start doing some new segments. We'll start getting a bit more on it with that stuff and giving you our thoughts and feelings on that. And obviously we're going to have to because like there is more news coming out now than there ever has been. Um, mm-hmm. So that they seem so happy to promote it again, uh, which is, yeah, I know we talked about this last week or however long ago with, uh, with, with Jody ending and whatnot and how the contrast in marketing campaigns is definitely quite interesting. Um, but I will say BBC aside, let's, even if it's mostly like Bad Wolf, like driving this or whatever, like it's nice to see them giving a shit about Shooty and, and about his his upcoming era, let's say. Well, I think like, I think people forget that B- the Doctor Who is still the biggest thing that the BBC has ever done, basically. Mm, it is the yeah. biggest. It's its cash cow. Um, so they want to promote it. So the only... I, I don't know. I not, I wasn't in the room when they made these decisions, but uh, sounds to me like Chris Chibnall is the big problem here. Um, yeah. Speaking of which... <laughs> you might have written a bad script. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Let's talk about The Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. feels strange. The graves around you eat people. You stopped the drill, right? Yes. Why can I still hear drilling? <gasps> Doctor, what was that? Is it monsters coming? Under the circumstances, I'd suggest... Run! Have you met monsters before? Yeah. And Cold Blood are episodes 8 and 9, respectively, of series 5 of the Doctor Who revival. They were written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Ashley Way. Now, here's a fun fact for y'all that Callum has provided for me to read out. This is Ashley Way's only full story directing Doctor Who. He is more prolific for directing Torchwood and Sarah Jane episodes, Sarah Jane Adventures episodes. But he did direct two weird offshoot projects, the interactive 2006 Red Nose Day special, Attack of the Graski, and all 13 Tardisodes, mini preludes to each episode of Series 2, available to download to your mobile phone, likely your Samsung slider. Um, 
So that's fun. Did you know? Fuck you. Did you know? <laughs> did you know about the Tardisodes? This is my favorite uh, little thing. It's like series two. They were like, oh, the BBC were like, oh, let's promote the show in like through different methods. Let's think of other th- ways we can promote the show. What about free downloadable episodes to your phone that like prelude a story? And I think like, oh, they were so ahead of the time. Like the technology wasn't there, but that's so cool. Sure. I can't oh. wait for Tardisodes to make a comeback on TikTok. Well, that's probably what's going to happen now, is it's going to be like, watch a two-minute preview of fucking blah blah Hi, I'm Millie Gibson, star of Doctor Who, <laughs> and this week I might fight some Daleks. <laughs> oh, smashing? Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh... Oh, we are too old for TikTok. Anyway, (laughs) all right. uh, So this week, we once again will be doing our 60 sec... I guess we do 90 second plot descriptions for the two-parters. That's very fair. That's right. That's right. Uh, Even though I had to do 60 seconds for a 90 episode, 90 minute episode last week. Well, there was no plot to Power of the Doctor, so... There was so much plot. It was all plot. That's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But you have to agree, like... Oh, God, I don't want to talk about that episode ever we can't, again. We can't get into Power of the Doctor again. <laughs> I refuse. Okay, James, I'm challenging you to recount the plot of these two episodes in 90 seconds. I've got my timer uh, set. Do I have I'm it? Actually, I'm actually a little worried about this one. Why? What's wrong? What's, tell me your th- I just didn't pay attention. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give... Okay, let's give it a crack. Let's right. give it a crack. I'm going to give you a countdown, okay? And on one, you go. Three, two, one. All right, the Doctor, Amy, and Rory land in modern day, I guess, like, I don't know, Outback, London, or whatever. Oh, stop, they think stop, they go stop. In Rio. The, I did it for one hour, 30 minutes. Oh! <laughs> well, I can't do it for 90 seconds on my phone for some reason. You just do it with minute 30. Oh, <laughs> you have an iPhone. <laughs> Sorry, I was. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Three, <laughs> two, <laughs> one. All right, the Doctor, Amy, and Rory land in modern day uh, countryside England, where they discover a mining operation has uh, effectively disrupted the earth and causing a bunch of natural phenomena to happen in the area. Uh, Rory splinters off and starts investigating the disappearance of one of the mining workers with his wife and son. Uh, uh, um, Elliot is the kid's name. I don't know the wife's name. Anyway, uh, the doctor and Amy discover that the earth is quite hungry and Amy gets eaten One by minute. the earth. Uh, while she is being eaten, uh, the others discover that the uh, the Silurians ha- have have risen up through the earth and have essentially the, the drill disrupted their oxygen pockets. And so now they think it was a declaration of war from the humans. They seal everybody in this small town, which turns out to just be like this specific cast inside of a shield. And they say, we are going to go to war unless you give us back the Silurian you've accidentally kidnapped and we'll give you back Amy and the boy who also gets kidnapped at some point. That's Elliot. 30 seconds. Um, shenanigans happen. Uh, the the mum's dad, uh, Tony, gets poisoned and because of that, she loses her mind and uh, kind of accidentally murders the Silurian that they've got. Uh, they take her down into the city and uh, peace that was almost seconds. being brokered between Amy and the, the Silurians is, is done and then they leave and then the, the gap in the wall opens up 
and Rory dies, Five, and Amy forgets four, about him. Three, two, one. <laughs> Did you you miss the bit where that, the kid is like, "Oh, I guess I'll have to like remember all this stuff in a hundred years' time, so that we don't forget they're well, down there." Oops. <laughs> We we can get to that. Um, sorry for doing such a terrible job there. I this no, is was good. Uh, sure. Anyway, well, it was bad. Um, but I wasn't going to say it was bad. F- f- <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you for that. I guess we're now we're now two for two. Like yours last week and mine this week. Mine last week was brilliant. <laughs> I still think it about wasn't. she's gay, but she doesn't know it. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, all right. Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Callum, Broadstrokes, what do you think of this two-parter? Look, Broadstrokes, if I look at these two episodes and I don't think about anything, if I just am like, what did I... <laughs> <laughs> and I... Shut up. And I look at these two episodes and I think, I could get down with this because there are so many elements of this that like actually are working in my particular favour. The Silurians are probably my favorite uh, Doctor Who um, quote unquote monster. Um, I I love this TARDIS team. So it makes sense. There's lots of good emotional stuff at the end, obviously, which we'll get to. Um, <clears throat> it's got uh, Mira Sile, who I really like. I think she's a really fantastic actress um, in it. And so there's a lot, you know, there's a lot going for it. Um, if I watch these episodes <laughs> I have a good time but it's like eating like a disgusting salty pizza like the one I had last night you wake up in the morning with bloats <laughs> and that's how I feel I feel bloated after these episodes yes I agree with that <laughs> um I, you're right like if I switch my brain off it's a it's not an unenjoyable kind of couple of hours of, of Doctor Who. Um, I think there's actually a lot of good things going for it. Um, I think that it's probably Chibnall's best script, maybe mm. outside of... Um, Power of Three. Uh, what was it? Uh, I mean, I, I thought Eva the Daleks was was quite tightly written for the most part. Um, oh, sure. Except for the, the weird you know, gender stuff that creeps in in the back end of it. Um, and, you know, if, I do remember enjoying Power of Three for sure. Um this is, I, I don't know, like it's it's clunky. Um, it, it's clunky in all the ways that a Chris Chibnall script is clunky. Mm. You know, it, it's very prone to uh, telling rather than showing. Um, it's, do you, unfocused? Yeah. <laughs> do you remember 42, how he wrote 42 for David Tennant? And that mm. was just, that was, that was another just, it was just plot. It was like, he's a big, sexy plot we're not going to do any character stuff we're not going to talk about anything in any particular depth but like have a good time for 42 minutes Mm -hmm. i like that episode it's not a classic and in the same way Uh, that's how i feel about this these this story is that it's i like them because of the very specific points it's hitting but it's not classic it's very workmanlike um it's not in any way sort of reaching for anything other than telling a, 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 a rollicking story. The problem is it's a two-parter. And so he has to do a lot of padding because he can't <laughs> write in enough stuff. Yeah. Um, and then that drags the whole thing down. I think one 
45 minute Chris Chibnall episode every 10 years is enough. (laughs) (laughs) Then they gave him the whole show and it all fucked up. Yeah, it all went to shit. Uh, Yeah, I I think I would agree with that. Um, Because, you know, I feel like I say this a lot about Chris Chibnall scripts, but, you know, he has all the right impulses let's say Mm. um you know like a a small british countryside town getting trapped inside of under like a dome um and having to effectively have the humans that are trapped in there represent humanity to um not even an invading force but like a a force that's essentially just trying to reclaim its its home um is a really great idea for an episode um like you like you really hit on gold there um the the problem, of course, as as it always was with Chris Chibnall, is the moment to moment writing is not good, mm. um, and so because of that, even its best ideas and its best moments, you just kind of like like you said, you feel bloated by the end of it, and so you're kind of like left with this wash of like, sure, I enjoy pizza, and I didn't hate that particular pizza, but my mouth is just like a, a greasy, salty mess now, and I can't really taste or feel anything, <laughs> um, and that's unfortunate for the elements that do work in this because you know like i said it's it's one of his better scripts for sure but i still come away from it just like I, i'm just so thoroughly uninterested in most of it and so now you know we sit here on a saturday morning and i said this to you before we started recording but like i just don't I, I'm, I'm tired of talking about his scripts because i feel like we always loop around to the same problems with him where it's like yeah i can see what he was going for but it wasn't very good and now i'm sleepy that's it <clears throat> it's it's yeah, you just feel like overwhelmed with the stuff that's being thrown at you and there's none of that sort of connective cementing humanity to it. Or it is, mm. but it's like it's just a segment and it has no impact on everything happening well, around it. Yeah. It's an odd I mean, one. It's because his version of humanity is so like trite and cloying. You know, mm. like it, it's all grand sweeping statements about like, you have to be the best of humanity and, oh, I love my son. I love my traditional family unit, you know, and it's just. And I love I those don't... scenes. This is the thing. I love those scenes. But, and you've said this so many times to me, they're fine in isolation. And then you look at the whole thing and you're like, that was, what was that? It was nothing. Mm-hmm. It was trite, like yeah. you say. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's talk about. C plus. Goodbye. <laughs> we, mm, well, we, mm. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's, there's a few things to talk about for sure. For sure. I would love to start with the thing that I like the most about this episode, which is the Silurians. Um, yes, they are great. They are great. Um, as much as I think that, okay, so just hang on. Let, let me, let me go back a little bit. So we have covered the classic 1970 Doctor Who story, The Silurians, oh, here on this podcast yeah. before, um, where we both had to pick sort of a favourite story. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that The Silurians do hit all these points for me that I really love. They're like Lovecraftian, you know, prehistoric creatures from the dawn of time. Um, they are a commentary on uh, on displacement and on, you know, co- colonisation. Um which is like, you know, I think sci-fi is a brilliant like tool for that. And I think Doctor Who does it sort of reasonably well. Um, mm-hmm. The the actress who plays the sort of the twin Solarians, Nev McIntosh, uh, I think it's phenomenal. I really like her and I really like that she came back 
later in the show to play different iterations of Silurians. Um, Cause I do think she just like knocks it out of the park. Um, so the whole, it is it, all working very well. And I also weirdly like the little underground city with the lush greens and the, the orange lighting and the, it, it, um, mm-hmm. the caves, even though those caves look fake as shit, I still kind of like it in that fakery. <laughs> um, so it's all good. What, what do you think about them? Uh, I like them. I I think I said this to you the first time that I rewatched this, but I really love the redesign for the Celerian. Mm. So I guess like that's the big headline that I think caused a bit of controversy at the time of this episode's release is that, you know, the Celerians went from these very like prosthetic fish, like three eyed creatures to, you know, they're, they're humanoid in, in this, you know, they are like, and that's the thing. They look fantastic Mm. like even if you don't appreciate what they've done with the redesign to make them more humanoid the actual prosthetic work and the way that it allows these act um sorry this actress what was her name again uh nev mcintosh nev mcintosh the way it allows nev to effectively emote through just a fuck ton of prosthetic makeup is impressive because it leaves her eyes free and it gives her just enough movement in her face that she gets to emote and and convey, you know, a wide variety of uh, very human emotions through a a very like starkly not human face. Um, And so just from a purely practical storytelling point of view, I think the redesign is fantastic. Aesthetically, I adore the redesign as well. I think they look much better here than in their traditional design. you know, th- these were my first exposure to them as well. So there's obviously some like new who recency bias and, and blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. But th- I think they look great. Um, like you said, the concept of them is really good as well because you've effectively got a, a colonization story where, you know, it, it still does cast humans as the the in, the, the colonizers and the, the invading force and whatnot. Mm. Um, but it does it with a really interesting twist in that, you know, like they were always here. Yeah. You just were like your your obliviousness and your ignorance and, and your sort of like assumption to land um, overrid that. And, and you never even thought of the fact that anything could be under the earth or, or however you want to sort of describe it. Yeah. Um, and that's a cool wrinkle to the, the colonizer storyline. Um, yeah, I like them. I, like, I just kind of like full stop like them I d- um and that they're, they're definitely the part of the story that works the the best yeah i'd agree with that I, I, and I, it's what you're saying about the prosthetic work like absolutely it is a big not game changer but it, it does help those actors emote and to put forward um the concept which i think i think that the underlying like uh impulse here is correct because they they Stephen Moffat talked about like um, making the Silurians uh, human, like giving them back the, a human sort of face so that it drove home the message that they were like just, well, I mean, you know, a race as um, worthy, worthy is the wrong word. Um, uh, they deserve, no, they, like they are inheritors of the earth just as much as apes are or humans. Um, Mm -hmm. and allowed for actual dialogue to take place and to, you know, for actors to bounce off one another. Um, I think that that, that impulse is correct because otherwise it is, it is difficult to emote and to, you know, uh, place sort of sympathy onto a prosthetic creature. It's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And I think with good writing, it can happen and also be even more powerful commentary. If you're like, it shouldn't matter what somebody looks like that 
their claim is just as valid as anyone else's. Um, but it's just a televisual shorthand, basically, to get to that same point. I do miss the third eye. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, only for stupid, dumb Doctor Who fan reasons, because the third eye was cool and it opened doors and it was psychic and blah, blah, blah. And there's also some great stuff in the original story where there's like all this POV stuff with a third like red lens at the top, um, mm-hmm. which is just like dumb and stupid and I love it. Um, but everything you're saying hey, is There's cr- nothing wrong with that as well. Like, I actually think that the third eye could be pretty nicely folded into this redesign. Um, totally. But, and everyone was yeah. saying, oh, this is so dumb. Not dumb, but just like, uh, I'm remembering f- like being on uh, Doctor Who fan sites in 2010 and arguing about this stuff. Um, but there's a, a little flap on their forehead and everyone was like, oh, it's going to flip up and reveal there's an eye under there. <laughs> uh, and it never happened. And everyone was like, they cheated us. They cheated us. And like, obviously it's all fine. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Silurian's yeah. good. Silurian's uh, yeah. good. I think the, um, the uh, I said this to you at the time when I, I saw it, but I, when she sees her sister's body on the floor, that little kind of like pained cry that she does mm. as a, it felt like an appropriately alien expression of grief. Like it, it's still just like a, a pained cry that like you, you and I would know as, as people, but it feels distinctly different, I, I suppose. Um, just, just a, a little note that, that I quite appreciated. I also, yeah, I completely agree. And I also love, um, so in the second episode, Mo, the mother of Elliot and her dad is the one who's got poisoned. Um, she like this. Oh, so hang on. So backstory a little bit. Alea is the sailor in that the humans have captured. Mo is the dad. No, Mo is the woman. M.O. No. A hundred percent. No, Mo played by Alan Ruglan. Mo, her name's What? Yeah, I don't know what her oh, name is because I can't see her in the IMDb list. It's Ambrose. Oh, yeah. Why not? I don't know why I thought her name was Mo. <laughs> Let's keep this in. This was good. Um, <laughs> we all learned something today. We all learned something. So who, Mo must be the the father? Yes. Oh, boring. Um, a woman named Mo. Crazy. Um, Ambrose <laughs> is... is uh, uh, she tasers the Silurian that they've got, like, um, captured in the basement of this church that they're holed out in. And the little, like, death throw cries that this actress gives to Alea is vaguely sexual in nature. I, I, I don't know how to else to describe it, really. Um pleasurable it's almost like she's finding pleasure in death and i just find that like choice very very good and very funny but very good well i mean given the the nature of that character you know she's essentially like spending her whole time as a captor being like i'm gonna die here you're gonna kill me and it's gonna kick off the bloodiest war we've ever seen and i can't fucking wait um it makes sense that she'd be like fuck yeah kill me (laughs) um totally it's good it is good. Uh, and I actually couldn't sing that actress's praises enough. I think she's really good. And I think she plays those two roles very um, distinctly, it, um, which is very hard to do. So, yeah, I <clears throat> think that's really good. Um, obviously, then, like, 
tied to the Silurians is the, the, the core concept of them, which is like, who owns the earth? Who is the actual inheritor? Um, who's been displaced? And mm-hmm. so this all leads up to a scene which maybe isn't as good where the doctor elects Amy basically to represent and um, Nazarene to represent earth in a debate about who's more deserving of the earth basically um, with the Silurian elder Eldane. Um, yeah. What? what are, I think I said this to you, but I was just like, why does Amy look so bored during this whole conversation? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a weird choice all round. I, I think it is, it's very chibnall to be like, and, and look, here's the thing. Doctor Who is a fantastical show. You know, we, we have forgiven some massive leaps in logic before because it is the show that it is, right? I think that the problem with doing this particular Solarian story, or rather with Chris Chibnall doing this particular mm-hmm. Solarian story, is that he does not have the, uh, act, uh, let, let's say political nuance and empathy maybe to, to properly deal with the things he's talking about. Mm. Um, it, it's not, it, I mean, it's, it's clunky, but it's not so bad when it's just the first kind of chunk of the the dynamic where it's like, Hey, actually this, this was our earth. Um, and we've got like this collection of really scared, probably a little bit bigoted humans who don't want to give it up. I think that stuff is, is totally fine. Um, then, you know, like you said, they, they kind of kick off this, discussion about how they could possibly share the earth because the doctor's like, well, you're down here. You may as well get going with this. Um, and it just feels like, especially in a universe that is, is so deeply enamored with the idea of having like unit and, and interplanetary politics and whatnot that like, it, it's too naive. Like it, it's too naive for the characters. Mm. And it's also just a really tone deaf way of handling this kind of discussion about, you know, it's like what we talked about at the top of the show, you know, there's a line where Amy's like, well, what about the Australian outback? Nobody lives there. It's like, what is happening here? Like, yeah. um, it just, it's weird and it's not, it's not good. Um, I, I don't think it's, you know, necessarily like, you know, it's not like problematic or whatever. I think it's just not good writing. Um, no, it, I, yeah, I think that's it. it. It's nothing being said in that scene is like incorrect, but what we want, I think as viewers is for that to be the episode, right? But it is reduced yeah. to a scene to basically be like, we did it, tick, get it out of the way, not make it more uh, intrinsic to all of the discussion you're having. And maybe it informs some of the actions of the characters. I mean, definitely when it comes to the humans and the conflict with on the surface with a layer, um, like it's all baked into... <clears throat> what's driving her. Um, but it, that's kind of where it ends. And the rest of the time, it's just yeah. scenes of the doctor going, you're better than this, you know, you're better. You, you, and yeah, that's the other thing. I just kind of thought of this as we were, as we're talking about it now, but you could almost see a, a better script. Um, and you know, you can have your troubles with this script. I know I don't begrudge anybody that, but you think about kill the moon, right? <sighs> Um, Love that episode. And uh, no, 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 I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> uh, 
No, no, no. So, you know, the idea that the Doctor has these these human beings in this bubble with the Solarians and is like, all right, right now, today, you have to be the best of humanity. You have to be political ambassadors, social ambassadors. You have to negotiate land reclaimment packages and, and all that sort of shit, right? Mm. Um, and I could sort of imagine a better script where at least one of those people turns to him and is like, this is a extremely unfair amount of pressure to put on individual human beings like this. Um this is unempathetic of you. It's cruel, actually. Yeah. And given the the position that you're in with your knowledge and your power, it's actually fucked that you think that this is just our conversation to have. Um, and I kind of wish somebody had called him out on that because I do think that it, again, it's, it's such a fairy tale, naive way of looking at a really complex political issue. Mm. And that purely stems from Chris Chibnall's like creativity, right? Like he just decided to simplify it down into this kind of like twee. Oh, and so we sat there and we discussed what would happen to Aboriginal people <laughs> if we took their land. Do you know what I mean? It's that there's no actual attempts to grapple with what's going on there. I think even from a human level, if you even want to leave the political stuff aside, because I don't blame him for not wanting to touch that, but just to not have anybody in that room be like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I-, I think is a, a huge missed opportunity. And one that I feel like Clara would have, would have said something. Well, and, and that's just the difference in the direction of the two eras, right? Like it's like mm. the Matt Smith era is much more interested in like promoting the doctor as a hero <clears throat> and a, yeah a voice of reason above all the shit you know they are a clear like rallying cry for justice and good and then peter capaldi comes along and he's like i don't even know what i'm fucking doing i don't even know if you should even (laughs) listen to me like and so you do get the opportunity to have that uh you know commentary then this is not this is this era just isn't interested in having that discussion so you do and like it's probably very well worth looking at like Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, comparing them against one another and saying, like, this episode has this parallel in the Peter Capaldi era. And I think that that's a perfect example you've just given of, like, how, mm. like, this that that moment is also well up for discussion and for criticism. Um, and the show is also doing that, like, a couple of years down the line. Yeah. So, yeah. It, yeah. It's just wild how quickly Moffat evolves his understanding as a showrunner and what he wants to do with these characters, you know? Well, he definitely benefited from time. Um, yes. And probably from, like, pressure, I would mm. say. It'll be really interesting to see uh, how Chris Chibnall benefits from time. Well, he had lots of time and he still chose I know, to that, do... That was, absolute... that was the joke. Oh, sorry. I, I couldn't even yeah. take it as a joke. I was too angry. <laughs> <laughs> Just as like... Ay, ay, ay. I... Um... Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah. Should we talk about, should we talk about, um, I, you know what? I was actually going to say we should talk about Amy and Rory, but that's probably like the last thing I want to talk about. But also, I don't think there's anything else to talk about. <laughs> like the characters are just. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of sitting here like, wait, what are we going to pivot to next? <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure what we can do that's outside of just actual plot descriptions. Um, mm. You know, there is um, There's some dialogue choices. I mean, like the doctor being like squeaky bum time is gross <laughs> to me. It was not as good as a squeaky bum time. <laughs> before you Sorry. said, before you used the word kooky to describe something and I really fucking was going to lose it. 
thinking of. Uh, we should, like, if, if you're listening to this and you don't know what half of our jokes are stemming from at this point, um, please go and find Meg Stolter videos. They are an absolute joy. We should drop um, that video, that link for that video in the in the um, notes. Yeah. Hi, Frigo. <laughs> Ali with calling. <laughs> Hi, Russell. Disney calling. sidebar um there probably isn't much more to talk about other than the amy and rory stuff i reckon in this episode these two episodes right yeah i mean you've also got like there's there's the core family unit involved in this story which is again it's such a chibnall mainstay you know um uh, i saw uh, somebody on twitter point out in in this two part of that like the representation of um like having the the son with dyslexia and the woman of color playing like a, a very like obviously high up scientist um is good organic representation i, I definitely don't argue with any of that mm. um mm-hmm. but i think that no matter where you go with chris chibnall's scripts he always comes back to very and look i understand conservative is a, a very loaded word for people so i don't necessarily want to like lump that on him but a, a very uh traditional structure to a lot of things that he writes yeah and so you know when you've got like a very traditional family unit being like everybody quick let's hide in the church and inside of this church we are going to represent humanity it's all just like yeah okay okay um you know i i like that he lets um uh, what's the num- mom's name ambrosia <laughs> ambrose Ambrose. I like that he lets Ambrose actually kill a Silurian. I think that that is a good dark ripple to yeah. the story. Yep. Um, and I think it is effectively undone by the ending in which... So, you know, basically the idea being that Amy and... Um, what is the scientist's name? I uh, uh, N- Nazarene. Nazarene. So Amy and Nazarene effectively broker peace with the Silurians. No, you know, it, it kind of just happens off screen. But the idea being that... They have reached a conclusion of how they are going to coexist on the surface, mm. which is a wild proposition for this episode. But mm. anyway, so that happens. And then we get the reveal that because uh, Ambrose has has killed um, uh, Alea up on the surface, um, you know, that that piece is no longer an option because Alea's sister, whose name I also forget. Uh, Restak. Restak uh, flies into a murderous rage and decides to wake up an army and, you know, effectively force the Doctor and the the quote-unquote the good Silurians uh, to put everyone back to sleep for another, like, what is it, 100 years? Yeah, something like 100 years. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't paying attention. And so, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All of this happens. Um, and at, at the time, you know, there's this kind of tone of like, oh, well, you know, if they hadn't killed Alea, none of this would have happened. And the mum is effectively ostracized in that room and sort of yeah. hated by both sides in the moment. Yep. Um, you know, obviously the Solarians don't like her because of her actions and even her family is like, what the fuck did you do? And that is so good. That's really good, dark, nuanced human writing, right? Hmm. Um, and then they get back up to the surface and the doctor has a moment with Ambrose where he's like, well, look, you tried. We all fuck up sometimes. Uh, I guess just teach your kid not to be bigoted. Uh, here's a warm smile to let you know it's going to be okay. And then she warmly smiles back. And that's the end of her story. I... And... S- sorry, just... The, no, go on. The dialogue in that scene is so fucking awful to her. And I love it. Because he says, like, you know, she's like, Oh, you could have you could have let those things shoot me. You saved me. And he says, you know, an eye for an eye. It's never the way. Now you show your son how wrong you were. How there's another way make him the best of humanity in a way you couldn't be. And I'm like, mm-hmm. so she's just incapable of change. That's just what we're saying now. 
Well, that's the thing. And, and that's why I think that the tone of this scene is wrong while the intent of it is actually okay. Mm. Because I think, you know, having the her part in this story end with the Doctor effectively being like, I am, I'm mad at you. I won't forgive you for this is good. I, I, and I, I think that you can do that without explicitly being like, well, you're a lost cause now. Try, try to work on your son. Um, mm. Which is already such a, a wild uh, sort of emotional thing for him to set up for that those characters, but truly, it, it's just it's specifically having him like do that little warm like, mm, oh well, kind of smile with her at the end that I find a bit galling because, you know, I, I do think this character deserves to end the story on a downer note. I don't need a glimmer of hope for you know the woman who murdered someone and then effectively like cost the world its its chance at like a a, a peace with these people and whatnot. Um, mm. And I get that it's like a family show, so I, I, I do understand that. But this show ends, this episode ends with a, a very dark Amy Rory story beat. So it's kind of like, I don't know why we didn't just fully lean into the fact that like, hey, this is one of those stories <clears throat> where everybody loses. I really, and that's a, a great segue there because um, I really feel like once that scene happens that you're talking about, everything else should have been swept aside i don't want to see any single character after that point other than the doctor and amy because mm-hmm. it, yeah when they when they go from that to wrapping up all the other storylines i'm like no this is totally so wrong like we i want to stay in this moment of complete misery and and you know mm-hmm. horribleness um the scene of which we're alluding to is that rory is shot by restack dies and then is erased from time because there's a crack by the TARDIS mm-hmm. crack in time um sh- can I talk Which, about Amy yeah no you can I just want to say mm. very quickly just to sort of establish a tone here mm. I think it's impressive the way that the acting the score the direction and even the script I'll, I'll give him this I think this is a really well written segment right yeah um is like Rory dies that's horrific but the true horror is her forgetting him. Yeah. Um, like, it's not the pain of loss. It's the never having existed at all that ends up being the genuine, like, horror of that moment. And I think that's really, really good. I, I completely agree. And that's, like, kind of what I wanted to say was just, like, Karen Gillan, you know, five stars. You knocked it out of the park because the minute that the Doctor, you know, basically drags Amy inside of the TARDIS after Rory has mm. been killed and she she uh, we are witnessing a breakdown right we are witnessing a complete um absence of like grace and dignity in this um performance because like amy is just shattered like her husband's died he's about to be erased from time she's about to forget him and she knows it and I love, I actually fucking adore the line where she, like, she's screaming at the doctor. She's, like, grabbing at his jacket and she's, like, like, what does she say? She's, like, um, don't tell me it's going to be okay. You have to make it okay. Um, mm. And <laughs> there's just, like, the desperation there of knowing that what's about to happen to you is irreversible and 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 you'll never know. Um it's like a death, yeah. right? Like that's what she's facing is a death of mm-hmm. someone that she was. Um, yeah. Like de- death of the man she loves the most and death of self in the exact same story beat. Like that's a colossal amount of trauma. And it's, mm. it's really interesting contrast with um, 
at the end of uh, Amy's Choice when he dies in the dream and she's like, okay, well, this can't be reality then because I simply refuse. Like she shuts down. She's like, I refuse to engage in a reality where he doesn't exist. Mm. Um, and it's a very sort of like cold and uh, almost like diplomatic engagement with like, hey, I might just kill myself here. Um, and then in this one, you know, again, like Rory dies. It's horrific. She starts the breakdown, but what really kicks off the the huge moment for her is the the ex- ex- uh, erasing of his existence. Is there anything to talk about here as a comparison to Donna Noble? Um, I think there is because it's, it's difficult not to not to see it right. You know, you you've got her like beating against him, and the control's been like, you do not do this to me. Like, do not let me like forget him. Basically, um, and I think that there is. And again, it, it's like a weird stopgap, right? To where we end up with the Clara stuff because at least now the Doctor, like the script is not presenting it as like, oh, he's doing this for her own good or like, you know, th- this is actually what she needs. She just doesn't understand it yet. Like this is presented as, again, the kind of end of the story where everyone's losing here. The Doctor is fucking up. Mm. Amy's fucked up. Rory's dead. You know, like this is not the good outcome by any stretch of the imagination. It's not presented as his pain. It's both of their pain in a way. Uh, and so I think you, you're a, a step closer to the kind of story where the doctor removes a, a companion's agency should be this level of upsetting to watch, you know? It's sort of, it's not really the doctor's fault in this moment, but more like no. he makes a choice based on the very unfortunate set of circumstances that are played out very quickly here yes like yes arguably he drags amy into the tardis to save her so there's Mm. you know some loss of agency there but i really think that she also doesn't want to die necessarily or be completely erased from time or wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to make that choice in that moment because she's too distressed um Yes. So I don't, and there's also the way that he like actively works with her to be like yes. remember him remember him remember him you know totally um and that's why like that little jolt when they both fall away from each other and then like you know the like the happy amy music kicks in is just it's gut-wrenching it is it is and it's funny we're gonna see more of these kinds of scenes reoccur in different ways it, coming up because like there's the amazing reveal at the end of the rebel flesh two-parter Um, again, Mm. which has, you know, a trauma happening to Amy, a complete like loss of self and identity. Um, and then again, in that same season of, you know, the girl who waited and the doctor's, you know, very suspect choice and action there as well. And the way he chooses to give out information to his companions. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is definitely a middle point between David Tennant and Pete Capaldi. Yeah. Which again, like we were talking about before with the, um, like the show's willingness to examine the doctor as not just a, a, a figure for good in these worlds. Right. Like this is, and I, I wouldn't even call it, it's not like a stopgap. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a, it's not a bad season no. or it's not a bad era because it doesn't fully embrace those new ideas or fall back into the old ones. It's like a really necessary building block. It's, it's the bridge. Totally. Um, and I, I love it for that. I, I love that you can see, things are changing internally inside Doctor Who as a, as a storytelling device. It, it, it really is. And um, it's, it's just, it's, it's really, yeah. Like, I think you're right to say that like the um, Matt Smith era should never be viewed as like just a, a reiteration of like trying to 
reach the glories of the David Tennant stuff. It it is a pathway to something else, and it's taking its time with that, and it's very deliberate with that. And we know Moffat is like that. He, I mean, he was basically planting the seeds of Jodie Whittaker. Oh, I don't want to lay that completely at his door. Like he also <laughs> never made the choice to make the Doctor a woman, obviously. Yeah. But he was laying little seeds and bits and pieces here and there to make that a like a possibility within the show. Um, mm, even yeah. though like you could just do it <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Really good stuff. And I do just also want to like, I don't know if this is like a came from Chibnall or Moffat. Like obviously Moffat is the script editor and can put stuff into scripts. Um, mm. But I just really dig and love the idea of <laughs> a past Amy and Rory even if it makes no sense considering where the story actually ends up um <laughs> going back and and reliving like past adventures and so there's that scene at the top of the first episode where they Amy and Rory see their like themselves like 10 years or so in the future on the other side of a valley waving at them and i don't know i just i really fucking love that i love like that it's a like it's just a really small way of being like this is a time travel show and we're still like yeah. this is a very this would be a very human thing to do would be like let remember when we were here like younger uh, let, let's go and see ourselves then that'll be fun that'll be a fun thing to do um mm-hmm. yeah and then obviously the devastating like conclusion to that being that when they go back to the cliff it's just amy on her own um yeah i don't know i just um, I, that's probably the, on that the same- most poetic oh, like chibnally thing I can think of. Uh, yes, I know what you mean. He really does like cliff apparitions, doesn't he? What's the other mm. one? Uh, I guess Jody. I was also thinking Broadchurch. Oh God! Remember Broadchurch? <laughs> was there a ghost in that? Yeah, at the very end of the series, she sees like the ghost of her son. Then she's like, "Oh, was just the firelight, or was it?" <laughs> Remember that episode of Doctor Who with Chibnall where he was like, "Ghosts are real, probably." Uh, goodbye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Graham's like, oh, but what about the ghost I saw? What ghost, Graham? I think you're crazy. <laughs> Graham, don't be daft. <laughs> One of these days we're going to get cancelled oh, for doing these accents. No, it's fine. It's just it's just the Welsh. No, that's Sheffield. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, whatever. Who, ah, it's who all English. Anyway, uh, I would like to say that... Um, I, I think I'm reading this line correctly. And if I am, it's, it's a brilliant quick bit of tragedy uh when mm-hmm. he when they when amy and the doctor are getting back in the tardis at the end and he makes some comment about like the the key or the lock or something and she's like oh you boys and your locksmithery or whatever and it's the you boys and she doesn't even notice and then she just gets in the tardis and you don't see her again but the idea that like the lingering subconscious of rory mm. yeah it, it yeah it definitely goes back to all the time she's called them her boys in the past i hadn't thought of that that's really cool yeah, I think it's, I, good. it's a nice little subtle touch. I don't like the use of the word locksmithery. Like, no, no. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? You boys and your locksmithery. Oh. Yeah, because boys are. <laughs> well, she says something to that effect, but yeah. No, I'm looking at the, um, at the script here in front of me, and she's definitely saying it. And it's like, who, who says what, that? Is that a masculine thing to do? I don't know. Oh <laughs> uh, shit! But yeah, like it's. You know, and I said this at the top, but like, I, I do think this is definitely one of his better scripts. There's some genuinely good things in here. Um, I think it's telling though that 
I have had a better time discussing this episode with mm. you than actually watching this episode. Oh, I completely agree. I actually completely agree. Um, because the things that are interesting to talk about are minute and <laughs> they're not... Well, they're the minute, but they're also quite broad. You know, like they mm. are overarching seasonal things that we're talking about that's kind of exciting to us. Whereas the actual moment to moment of this episode, I, whatever, I, I, it's... Oh, the doctor doesn't like weapons and then weapons are introduced and something tragically goes wrong. And you know, there's a, a special kid and you know, yeah. he's like, he's really cool and intelligent. It's just, it's all just, it's whatever. It, it's. Do you remember how like the concept of this episode started out with like the ground eating people and then that was nothing? Yeah. Like it was just a, yeah. but I, that's a cool idea. The graves around here eat people. What a, what an amazing little story beat. I would have loved that to just be the mm-hmm. story. But it wasn't. Yeah. Um, also, I've just gone back into the script and it was a thousand years. A thousand years time to sort the planet out, be ready, pass it on as legend or prophecy or religion. Oh, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, effectively at the end of this, he tells the kid, like, or he tells all the people involved, like, hey, this is now on you to spread the word that, you know, eventually this planet is to be shared. Spread it through myth. And it's like, What? These people you are, are the doctor. Yeah, exactly. You can literally time travel. Just go a thousand years time in the future and just fucking sort it out. But yeah, what's like you sort of imagine like what they're gonna say when they come out and they're gonna be like, "Hey, everybody! Hey, there's lizard people under the earth. They're gonna come back in a thousand years, so we all better be ready." But don't go digging for them right now. They're pretty angry. <laughs> yeah, they hate us right now. So let's just all be nice to them when they come back, okay? Well, and like putting all the lizard people into putting the Salarians back into cryostasis for like a thousand years, it's like so they're not gonna ideologically develop. Like, no, they're going to be just the same when they come out. And also, like, what a fucking raw deal. Oh, we'll just freeze ourselves. So That's it. <laughs> just, like, put them back on ice until humanity is ready to not be racist is not a good ending, Chippy. <laughs> and I don't like that, that he presents it as, like, oh, maybe next time. Teehee. And I also don't believe like, no, their leader... it should be a maybe next time because, oh, my God, this has gone horribly wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't believe their leader would, like, think that it's in their best interest to, like, just you know die basically and i don't mean that like i I don't mean that to be dramatic but like they're under the earth anything could go wrong in a thousand years if you're all like high Mm -hmm. like cryogenically frozen the systems could fail you could all die Mm -hmm. fucking start breeding propagate <laughs> it kind of gets at this idea that, um, and and look, especially as as a as a white dude, I'm not like the the best person to talk about this, but like I think it's this kind of concept that exists in some stories that deal with um, colonization or, or uh, native people and whatnot. But like the idea that like there's the savages and then there's the good one, you know, like mm. you've heard of this concept before, right? Mm, yeah, the like the magic. And- um- uh, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, oh, well, like the leader, he's the reasonable one. And all the others are just like really angry with guns. Um, and I just find that a bit, it, ugh, whatever. Well, it's offensive, you know, because like it's just sort of say like, oh, uh, her opinion is troublesome. Restack's opinion is troublesome. And, and she's, you know, uh, it doesn't even entertain the idea. I think I, I truly think that like her anger is justified or righteous, like. Mm-hmm. I think they think that she's just crazy and kind of yeah. stop being so angry, Restack, you know, have a chill pill. Um, yeah. <laughs> she's legit. She has a legitimate reason to be angry. She's just woken up from hibernation and found out that her, literally her entire civilization, everything about this planet 
is gone and they have been wiped from the earth. And she's like, no way, man. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And not only that, but like the things that wipe them from the earth are now actively encroaching into the space they did have left. Yeah. But, and this is why the Silurians are so fucking interesting is because that's what they were doing when they were like masters of the earth. They are just as bad in that sense. Um, mm. And it's just that they are, they are now the displaced ones. Oh God, you could have like, they are endlessly fascinating to me. Um, And I really would love to see a Doctor Who story do it right. I'd love to see, and this is my own personal fan fiction, a whole season about it. (laughs) Because I think there's just so much you could do with this story. Like, I think if you did like a Children of Earth type mini season on this, where, and I mean, like my, my dream ending would be that they effectively reclaim some land and it's messy and horrible. Yes. And then that's just the, the state of the world has changed from that point. Yes. No, I completely agree. I think that's a really good Doctor Who story. That's a really good Doctor Who story arc. Even a spin-off, maybe? I don't know. Russell, Ooh, my number maybe. is blah, 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 blah. Call me <laughs> to talk about this. Hi, Russell. <laughs> Two parts calling. <laughs> Had you considered this cool idea for your new show? <laughs> I heard you're doing a Doctor Who Disney TV show. <laughs> How was your show on... No, never mind. I can't make that joke. No. Um, look, I think we're done. I, I think I think we're pretty much wrapping up here. Is there anything else you want to call out? While nah, we're, let's yeah. give it this episode a good old rating. All right, all right. I'm going to give The Hungry Earth a C-, and I'm going to give Cold Blood a... C C plus sounds too low, mm. but B anything sounds too high. Well, I think it's a B minus, right? And a C yeah. For, okay, for me, it's a C plus for colder blood. No, hungry earth. Fuck, who cares? Mm-hmm. They're both the same thing. Yeah. C plus is all round. C <laughs> C. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, uh, great, great. Um, well, there you go. That's that's our discussion on um, hopefully the last Chris Chibnall script for a, a long while. The next one we will discuss will be in series seven. So we've still got some time to go before then. Oh, wonderful. You know, I've never actually seen dinosaurs on a spaceship in its entirety. I don't want you to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hate it. I could just tell. <laughs> I hate it. Excellent. I think it's an awful episode. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. We will see you in two weeks' time. Let's see. Um, yeah, I think two weeks' time. I think we should probably go back to fortnightly releases because, yeah. like, we both discussed that. Like, we do miss doing the show, but we also can't deny that. I think having a lot of Chibnall to talk about this year, or in the back half of this year, has really soured us on recording, and so we're, we're happy to be sort of hopefully finding a bit more rhythm again. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll see you in in two weeks' time to talk about Vincent and the Doctor and the Lodger. Um, Yes, we're going to be smashing those two things together because they're not quite enough on their own. But yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. I think it's going to be heavily weighted in the Vincent area for me. I think so too. Yeah. but I will say though, slight spoilers, the last time I watched The Lodger, I really enjoyed it. So I cannot wait to see how this turns out. Me too, because it's got everyone's hated like enemy in it. <laughs> oh, everyone loves Mr. Corden. 
Um, anyway, Mr. Corden and whoever else, thank you so much for listening to us each and every fortnight and or month. Um, if you'd like, you could please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to the show. Um, again, text reviews actually help us a lot more than star ratings, but look, I will happily take either at this point. So thank you so much. Um, if you do want to have your thoughts and feelings read on the show, you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's to the word two. Uh, or of course, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at twoheartspod. That's to the number. Two. I've been James. You can find me on Twitter at OMG More James. And I've been Callum. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Theatric Callum. Wonderful. Thank you so much, everybody. Stay safe, be kind to each other. And remember, if you see some blue grass, don't eat it. <laughs> Until next time. Bye. Bye.